irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to Answers for the Family with Alan Cardoza, right here on LA Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Answers for the Family. I'm your host, Alan Cardoza, and every Monday from 11 a.m. to noon Pacific Time, I will bring you special guests that can inspire, educate, and in some cases entertain, while bringing answers and options to raising children today and in our constantly changing future. Answers for the Family will address issues such as locating a runaway teen, family crisis intervention, building self-esteem, dealing with addictions, and so much more. Now, our topic today is the Deanna Protocol, Hope for ALS and Other Neurological Conditions. Now, ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease, is a disorder that affects the functions of the nerves and the muscles. According to the ALS Association, a little over 5,600 people in the United States are diagnosed with ALS each year. Now, that's 15 new cases a day, and it's estimated that as many as 30,000 Americans have the disease at any given time. Now, with us to discuss this subject is Dr. Vincent Tadone, co-author of The Deanna Protocol, Hope for ALS, and he is also a protagonist in the story. Dr. Tadone discovered the Deanna Protocol and currently establishes the focus and goals for all research on the Deanna Protocol. He is chief medical liaison to the medical and science communities on behalf of Winning the Fight, the nonprofit organization responsible for funding all Deanna Protocol research. Prior to Dr. Tadone's daughter Deanna's diagnosis with ALS, he specialized in orthopedics, operating on a host of professional athletes from the New York Yankees, the New York Jets, and the New York Rangers. He also operated on prima ballerinas from professional ballet companies abroad. During his career, Dr. Tadone served as Chief of Orthopedic Surgery at the University Community Hospital in Tampa, Florida, and founded and served as Director of the Tampa Center for Knee Surgery and the Knee and Orthopedic Institute. Dr. Tadone, welcome to Answers for the Family. Thank you, Alan. Well, it's it, I'm I'm glad to have you here, and uh, you know we're going to have a lot of time to talk about ALS. But before we get into that, uh, tell us a little bit more about your background. Well, you you pretty much covered everything, Alan. Uh, when I dealt with the professional athletes and the prima ballerinas, I was a resident physician at Lenox Hill Hospital. And then during the Vietnam War, I was orthopedic surgeon at McDill Air Force Base in Tampa, Florida, which was the clearing ground for uh, all the wounded who returned home from Southeast Asia who lived in the Southeast United States. And following that, I went out into practice in Tampa, Florida. Originally, I was doing general orthopedics. And then because of my background, I became the team physician for the University of South Florida. In 1978, I had my first glimpse of arthroscopic surgery, 
and decided that that was the area of the future. And I became an arthroscopic surgeon and limited my uh, my practice at that time to knees, arthroscopic surgery of knees and shoulders, and total knee joint replacements. And then I retired after 34 years in practice uh, uh, in 1997. Well, so so the situation with your daughter then obviously occurred after you were already retired. So what were Deanna's first symptoms? Well, yes, the... Um, in, in 2007, or late 2006, I was running down a spiral staircase, and my daughter, Deanna, was standing at the foot of the stairs. And she said to me, boy, you come running down those stairs, and you don't even look at the steps. Now, Deanna was a 30-year-old woman in very good shape at that time who worked out, etc. So I thought it was odd that she would say that to me. And then it occurred that uh, in jogging, she kept stumbling, which annoyed her because she was seven years younger than her sister, and she was having trouble keeping up. They were jogging together. And then the other thing was she would lose her balance when putting on her pants. So at some point in time, I put her on the kitchen counter and checked her reflexes, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. They were mild, very hyper-reflexive. You know, we grade them one plus and so forth, and she was like a six plus. Hmm. Um, I was concerned. I didn't even want to think of what this could entail. Um, so she went to see a neurologist who determined that her electromyographic findings EMG were abnormal. EMGs basically uh, uh, sample electrical potential in the muscles. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, uh, going on from there, we um, we reflected on, you know, what's happening here. Uh, how did she get the disease? Well, and that's and that was going to be my question. But so at that point, did, did the neurologist uh, at that point say that it is his belief that she has uh, ALS or what people you know know as Lou Gehrig's disease? Well, first let me say that nobody wants to make this diagnosis because it's a death sentence. And no, he didn't say that. He probably surmised it, but he didn't tell me. I knew him, and he didn't tell my daughter. And it so happened that she was pregnant at the time, so we couldn't do all the necessary tests. Um, now, how does how how do people get this disease? And in and in her particular case, how did Deanna get it? Okay, so you know, I, I started to try and think this through. And, you know, Deanna got married in 2006, and she moved into a house that she and her husband remodeled. And he worked on the drywall while they were living in the house, raising ceilings and moving walls. 
And as you know, if you've ever worked with drywall, that uh, fine dust is, mm-hmm. is everywhere. And in fact, in Florida, because of the humidity, it even becomes aerosolized. So they lived in the house for 29 months. And after Hurricane Katrina, there was so much building going on in the southeastern United States that we had no more drywall left. So we um, we ordered drywall from China. Mm. And um, it so happened that the Chinese drywall has toxic amounts of sulfur, strontium, mercury, and lead, among other organic substances. And as I ever said, they were sanding the drywall and she was breathing it. Her husband had frequent upper respiratory infections and she began experiencing nerve symptoms. They even lost their young dog to cancer. Mm-hmm. And then my research revealed that strontium replaces calcium at the epiphysis or growth plate and causes retarded uh, bone growth. Well, Deanna miscarried a fetus that was dwarfed, and there were no genetic reasons for this. So the probability of this happening, uh, the method of it happening, uh, was most likely the toxic metals and, in specific, the strontium. There is also evidence that toxic levels of metals can cause nerve degeneration. So this is what we thought at that time was the obvious cause of her nerve symptoms. Wow. Um, and so at that point, when uh, did the doctor then acknowledge that he believed that it was ALS? And, and, and what was their protocol? You know, what was, be, before you established, you know, the, the Deanna protocol, what was the protocol that the doctors at that time were, were telling you? Right. Well, <clears throat> since the pregnancy was, was ended, uh, she, was, uh, she was able to do the remainder of the tests. They did a, a, a spinal puncture and tested the cerebrospinal fluid. They tested it for Lyme disease at that time. And they did uh, x-rays of the brain, they did MRIs, they did CAT scans, they did did everything. And all those tests were normal, except that my daughter was not well. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we went to uh, Johns Hopkins, and we first went to the University of South Florida, and they made the diagnosis of ALS after several visits. And then we went to to Johns Hopkins, and we went to Mayo Clinic. And at Mayo Clinic, the doctor said, are you using a cane? And she said, no, you will soon. Mm. Do you choke when you eat? She said, no, you will soon. Uh, Do you, you know, get your affairs in order? Uh, do the things you want to do now because you won't be able to do them in in the future. You don't have long to live. That's mm. basically what they were telling her. As far as what they could offer for treatment was Rilotech, which is very expensive, about 600 to to $1,000 a month. 
it uh, causes complications. You have to have liver studies done frequently. And it will increase the life expectancy by two months. So that is basically all that they had that was available. Now, you have to understand something here that we, the family, responded by forming a foundation, Mm -hmm. winningthefight.org, www.winningthefight.org, WFND, which we wanted to collect money to do research. And in, in we because there was nothing out there, there was no hope, there was no help, uh, there was nothing. You go home and you die. But through this um, website for the foundation, I came in contact with ALS patients And now we probably have over 2,500 registered worldwide. Mm. And in hearing their reports, basically they would say, well, the neurologist wants me to see him in three months. But I go back and all he tells me how bad I'm getting. So I'm not going to go back anymore. They're not doing anything for me. And, And this story was every every neurological, every ALS patient. The bottom line was they did not want to give the patients false hope. And I understand their problem. They've been treating this disease for 134 years. Mm -hmm. And I say treat with tongue-in-cheek because all they do is watch them die. And so, you know, we um, we through our website uh, look to raising money, but I'm getting ahead of myself. You know, prior to that, we, well, my daughter and I had a discussion. Yeah, well, I didn't understand that this was a 30-year-old girl with a J.D., MBA degree who just became a partner in a law firm. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, she was a very aggressive, intelligent individual. And she said, Dad, I don't want to accept this. And I said, okay, Deanna. And I said, if you're willing to work with me, I will spend the rest of my life looking for a cure or treatment. For this condition, so and so what? I will try various substances on you. You will be the test case. And she said, "Okay, Dad." Right. So now I had to come up with a program. How would I approach this disease? I'm not a neurologist, and understand, I'm not a researcher. I'm a clinician. Mm-hmm. Okay, I deal with patients. I don't deal with laboratories and, and petri dishes and all that kind of stuff. So, so, so what were some of your methods in trying to, to set up a protocol or find a treatment that would work not only for your daughter, but for the thousands of people out there um, having to, to suffer with ALS? Yes, Alan, a good question. 
you know, I looked at what was accepted by neuroscientists at the time. <clears throat> what was accepted fact? And I came up with three facts. One, nerve cells died. Two, they died because they lacked energy. <clears throat> and three, glutamate accumulated to an excessive degree. Okay. Now, I have since found that that third fact is wrong, but I won't go into this now because we'll go into it later. Okay. Now, to understand the... Uh, to understand this disease, you have to understand the fact that there are excitatory neurotransmitters and inhibitory neurotransmitters. The primary excitatory neurotransmitter is glutamate. Mm -hmm. The primary inhibitory neurotransmitter is GABA, which is gamma aminobutyric acid. Now, in research, for 20 years, Johns Hopkins, Mayo Clinic, Mass General, Harvard, they all tried to find something that would block the excitatory neurotransmitter glutamate because these patients are spastic. They're hyperexcitable. Mm -hmm. So they surmised that they had too much glutamate. But you can have an ex hyperexcitable condition if you have too many inhibitory or too much inhibition and not enough glutamate, okay, which was really never considered, which was odd because my daughter was spastic, and when I was at Johns Hopkins, I said, you know, what, will you, what can we do for spasticity? Mm -hmm. And they said, uh, you can give her baclofen. Baclofen is a prescription drug, and it's very expensive. I went home, and I researched baclofen. Well, what is GABA? GABA baclofen. baclofen is GABA, GABA amino, gamma aminobutyric mm -hmm. acid. And supposedly, GABA can't cross the blood-brain barrier. There, there is a barrier that protects the brain from the blood circulation, which is called the blood-brain barrier. And it affects, it stops toxins from getting into the brain and so forth. However, in a disease in which there is a nervous system inflammation, that blood-brain barrier doesn't work. So the reason why they came up with baclofen was they put a radical on GABA so that it would get through the blood-brain barrier. Well, GABA gets through the blood-brain barrier just fine. So here we have, you have inhibitory neurotransmitters GABA, and you have excitatory neurotransmitters glutamate, and the balance of those two develop normal tone. Hmm. So they geared, well, let me, let me bring this in now. Recent um, studies using magnetic resonance spectroscopy revealed that GABA is diminished. Hence, the excitotoxicity is probably not due to a lack of GABA. Excuse me, is, is yeah. due to a lack of GABA and okay. not due to too much glutamate. So it's not enough inhibition. And then we'll go into another reason 
in that. This gets a little, but an aside here is a recent study out of Harvard has shown that in children that are autistic, they don't have enough GABA. How about that? You've ever watched an autistic child, you see how they jump around and mm -hmm. how sporadic their actions are, etc. They don't have enough GABA. They don't have enough inhibition. That's a very recent study in November out of Harvard. Okay, so here we have, according to the powers that be in Mecca's around the country and the world, in neuroscience, we have too much glutamate causing this spasticity or excitotoxicity. So there was a multi-institutional study that was funded by the NIH to find a substance that could break down glutamate. And what they found could break down glutamate was rocephin. Rocephin is a readily available antibiotic. And there's a little irony in this statement, which we will come to later, but I don't want to tip and get out of uh, the sequence here because I'll, I'll confuse everyone. So there was a, a clinical trial for rocephin, and the trial failed. Well, in, in, they never got to phase three. The patients all died. Interestingly, when I asked them, if it were your mother what would you or daughter, what would you put them on? They said rocephin. Well, we didn't use rocephin. I went and... Um, I knew a neurologist who had a patient on rocephin, and I called him. He said, it hasn't done anything for this patient. And then if you went on the blogs, the patient would say, I've been on rocephin for X number of months, and I'm still getting worse. So I didn't put my daughter on rocephin. Um, so okay. what was... Yeah, what was the what was the key event? I mean, at, at, you know, as you as you're putting this stuff together, what was sort of the key event that that said, you know, I'm not there yet, but I will get there okay. in a moment. Okay. Okay. So they they were looking for something that would break glutamate down. So I said to myself, okay, what are substances now? Glutamate is natural; it's in the body, right? Mm -hmm. What are the natural substances that break glutamate down? I mean, a chemical reaction. You have enzymes, so I searched for the enzymes that break glutamate down, and these were GDH, which glutamate dehydrogenase, and GAD, which is glutamate decarboxylase. Now I was unable to find those enzymes. Interesting aside here is, well, I won't go into that yet, but then I looked at the genes that produce those enzymes, and we have the GLUT2 gene, which produces the GDH, which breaks glutamate down to alpha-ketoglutarate, and then we have the, Jack, the GAD gene, which breaks glutamate down to GABA aminobutyric acid. Let me just shut this down here. Okay. Okay, so the um, I said the products of the breakdown of glutamate, AKG and GABA, since we, we have too much glutamate, those products must be lacking. It's not being broken down. They're saying we have the excitotoxicity is due to too much glutamate. So if there's too much glutamate, 
the breakdown products must be absent. Makes sense. So, you know, AKG and GABA then became the essence of the Deanna Protocol. Now, you asked me about the key event. There was some research done in 1980 that a ketogenic diet would slow down nerve cell degeneration. Now, the ketogenic diet is a low-carbohydrate, high-protein diet, which, since you're uh, lacking sugar or glucose, you use ketone bodies, and the ketone bodies are beta-hydroxybutyrate and acetoacetate. So I started my daughter on a ketogenic diet, and at this time we also used a product that provided, it was coconut oil, the main product in coconut oil, which is caprylic acid. And caprylic acid is broken down to ketone bodies, beta-hydroxybutyrate and, and acetoacetate. And the interesting thing about the coconut oil is uh, they, it is a mid-chain triglyceride, so it can be absorbed right through the skin. So you can absorb the caprylic acid right through the skin, and it then goes to the liver, and it's broken down into beta-hydroxybutyrate and acetoacetate. So, as I said, my daughter wasn't doing well on this diet, and the person who had written the paper about uh, ketone bodies uh, stopping nerve cell degeneration is Dr. Richard Veach, who is a professor at NIH. And so I called him. He's a very interesting fellow. He's a little older than me, and not too many people are older than me in this <laughs> field. <laughs> okay, so I said, Dr. Veach, why did you use ketone bodies in your study. I said, why didn't you use alpha-ketoglutarate? You know, going back to the breakdown products of glutamate. Sure. said to me, well, the ketone bodies, their polarity allows them to be absorbed into the cell. So I said, you mean alpha-ketoglutarate can't be absorbed into the cell? He said, no, it can't. I said, suppose the cell was diseased. Suppose there was a degenerative process occurring in the cell. He said, well, you know, the polarity would then change and AKG could be absorbed into the cell. That was the aha moment. Mm -hmm. That's huge. You, you have to understand that if we're treating a disease, we want to treat the areas that need the substance. So we want to go to the cells that need the energy supplementation not to all the cells, and AKG can only go to those cells that needs it. And to carry this even further, you could possibly even use AKG as a carrier, you know, to utilize it in other neurodegenerative diseases, for instance, uh, Parkinson's disease, in which the, the, the cells in the substantia nigra produce dopamine, and you could perhaps hook tryptophan, which is a precursor of dopamine, up to AKG, and it would go to the cells that need it. 
but you know this is all research that has to be done mm-hmm. and i cannot get neuroscientists to look at metabolism at all they look at this and they have told me to my face not to my face on the phone and emails they don't want to waste any money on cell metabolism okay so right. I mean, is there, that was is the there first reasoning? aha. Yeah, but what 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 could possibly be their reasoning? That. Yeah, but what okay. could possibly be their reasoning for not wanting to to spend any money in research in those areas? Because all the substances are found over the counter, they can't patent them and they can't make any money. Gotcha. That's not mind you, billions of dollars are spent each year researching Alzheimer's disease, the other neurodegenerative diseases, and, and, and many other situations, which we'll get to later. Okay. Well, the other aha uh, uh, event was a positive serology, which I'll explain later. I can't go into it now because I will only confuse the issues here. All right. Well, before we go a little further, we're going to take a break. But I want to I want to just remind everybody, uh, if you're sitting at your computer, if you want to follow along, you can go to the website. You can go to winningthefight.org. Uh, there is so much great information there as well. We're going to take a break right now. You're listening to Answers for the Family. Founded over 25 years ago, To meet the needs of families in crisis, West Shield specializes in resolving adolescent issues that negatively impact the family. From preteen to young adult, we are experienced and qualified to help. We offer solutions which include referrals to a network of top professionals internationally that we work very closely with in the fields of educational consulting, psychology, and psychiatry. Our in-home crisis intervention care program helps to stabilize families and bring effective resolution. We are supported by our licensed investigation company that enables us to offer legal and expert services for locating runaway teens and more. Our therapeutic transportation services help to ensure that adolescents in crisis are safely provided transportation to specialized schools and programs with unmatched experience and success. Simply put, West Shield Adolescent Services is the best solution when your family is facing personal crisis. Call 1-800-899-8585 and let us help you. And we're back. I'm Alan Cardoza. You're listening to Answers for the Family. And our guest today is Dr. Vincent Tadone. And our subject is uh, ALS or hope for ALS and other neurological conditions. Uh, now, Dr. Tadone, I think we we had talked about a lot of things in regards to how you're getting to some of your aha moments. Um, so bring us to what is the Deanna Protocol, and and how is that something that is now making a difference? Yes, will do. The, the Deanna Protocol gives the body what it cannot provide for itself. It gives cells energy. Remember we said that in the beginning that cells die because they lack energy. Mm-hmm. Well, the Deanna Protocol, the AKG, that gives cells energy. It's it, the, the concept is much like treating diabetes with insulin or treating HIV AIDS with a, a immuno uh, cocktail. 
AKG, alpha-ketoglutarate, is a substrate in the energy cycle, which provides energy to cells, keeping them alive. And as I mentioned previously, the important thing about AKG is it can't get into normal cells. It only can get into those cells, okay, that are in a degenerating condition. And this comes from Dr. Veach, who is probably, not probably, he is the premier um, microbiochemist in the world who studied under Hans Krupp Krebs, who uh, basically found the Krebs cycle or discovered the Krebs cycle, which is the cycle that produces energy in the cells. So, the... Um, as I said, the AKG is a substrate and it keeps the mm -hmm. cells alive. And what's interesting here is these patients, ALS patients, have symptoms and these symptoms are twitching, which means that a muscle fiber is contracting, and fasciculations, which means that a muscle bundle is contracting, and they have spasticity. Mm -hmm. And they take, we, we dose the AKG according to their symptoms. If you're a 250-pound guy as opposed to a 120-pound woman, you have more cells and you need more AKG. We have a baseline that they take and then they increase the AKG according to their symptoms, which are the twitching and the fasciculations. And what they notice is that the symptoms subside. Uh, and so many people on our website have stated that, well, I'm not sure this works. And then they stop taking it and they immediately see that their twitching and fasciculations have increased. And I opine that these symptoms, the fasciculations and twitching, are due to subliminal or weak nerve impulses coming out of cells that are degenerating. In other words, the, set, the strength of the impulse is not enough to cause a contraction of the whole muscle. So mm -hmm. it just causes a fiber contraction or causes a bundle contraction. Now, this is... Uh, very uncomfortable for these patients. And this makes them a lot more comfortable because these symptoms, they don't go away completely, but they subside. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is with the GABA, GABA aminobutyric acid, which is the inhibitory transmitter, we, we put them on this. And I remember my daughter telling me, gee, Dad, I can carry a glass of water across the room without shaking so much that I'm spilling it. So they, clinically, they're proven, and clinically it proves that GABA crosses the blood-brain barrier. You don't need a prescription drug, and GABA is also over-the-counter. Now, in looking at this, in order to be complete, I looked at the energy cycle, and in the energy cycle, they have a complex that they call complex one. And complex one consists of, and these, these are enzymes or catalysts that make the reaction go. And complex one 
that consists of CoQ10 and NADH. In our DP, we use something stronger than CoQ10. We use ubiquinone. And since you can't find NADH, or if you do, it's very expensive, and NADH is nicotine, nicotine, nicotine adenine dinucleotide, uh, dinucleotide. Yeah, nicotine adenine, NADH, nicotine adenine dinucleotide. And the H just means it's reduced. But you, you, can't, you can't find this readily, and it's very expensive. So we prescribe niacin as a precursor. Okay. And that pretty much makes up the Diana protocol. These substances are all natural substances. They, they're found in the body. You can buy them over the counter. You don't need a prescription. Um, now, the, the one thing that we found that alpha keto glutarate is a very acidic substance. So we combined it with arginine, which is a basic amino acid to neutralize the acidity in the alpha keto glutarate. The arginine also has an advantage because it breaks down to nitric oxides, which causes vasodilation, or the blood vessels get bigger, so it increases the circulation. And the only complication that we've had with this is, is diarrhea, and we, we have a whole method of taking this, so you back the, the dose down and in the Deanna protocol, and you start it gradually and build up to the point, and then most people can tolerate it. The only other problem you might have is if you have a cardiac condition, the arginine, because it causes, it breaks down into nitric oxide, and which causes vasodilation, it could put some stress on their heart. So these are caveats that we had, and they're all in, the WFND program, which includes the Vienna Protocol. And, and let me just say that the program also consists of massage with coconut oil, because we previously, previously mentioned mm -hmm. these are short-chain, medium-chain triglycerides, which can be absorbed right through the skin, and an exercise program consisting of stretching, progressive resistive exercises, but not to exhaustion, and, and cardiovascular exercises, aerobics. And Dr. Tidone, you, 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 mentioned, uh, you mentioned about Deanna saying that she's walking now without, without spilling things. Um, I think many of us are, are interested. How is she doing now? Well, you know, we're talking about the onset of disease in 2006, and we're in 2015, so we're nine years down the road. She still can walk. She still speaks intelligibly. Uh, she, there's, her shoulders and hands are affected, but they're functional. Mm -hmm. uh, so most ALS patients say that their disease progression has slowed down. And there, there is a... Um, there is a score that neuroscientists use, and it's called the ALS Functional Relations Score, ALS-FRS. And the, the, number, the, the, the number is 48, and you, the, the, you 
get num this you co uh, compile this number by answering questions, uh, and the max is forty eight. And those who usually, on average, ALS patients will increase at the rate of one a month. Well, we have found that the patients on the Deanna protocol uh, increase at less than one a month. So that is proof that the disease is slowed down by uh, the Deanna protocol other than the subjective responses that we get. Um, what else do I want to say here? Let me, let me just add that the only medication that neurologists will prescribe is Relotec. I think I mentioned this already, right. which is 600 bucks a month, 600 to 1,000 a month, can cause uh, liver damage and only increases life expectancy for two months. That's what they offer. Yeah, that <clears throat> that's very distressing. Uh, let me... Um, we have a uh, an email question that has come in, and again, I appreciate these very much. These usually come in from people who are working in the middle of the day, so they send it in the night before because they've received the the press release, but yet um, know that they won't be able to to listen live. Uh, so this one reads, I was so inspired by your story when I read the press release, I purchased the book and sent another copy to my brother. His wife was diagnosed with ALS a few months ago, and they are going mainstream 100%. I'm not sure what that means. Um, a, a strong believer in using more uh, natural solutions whenever possible. It will be interesting to see how my brother responds given you are a physician who has developed this solution for your own family. My question is, when someone is in the very early stages of the disease, as my sister-in-law is, um, you know, can your protocol help maintain or reverse the conditions? Okay, N nothing that we know of today can reverse the condition, but we're not there yet. But let me say, if we're going to get ahead of ourselves here, but to answer this question, which is very important, if you're in the early stages of the disease, you should see a Lyme disease doctor, and we will go into this further later. And yes, the Deanna protocol will help to keep cells alive and stop them, help them fight off what's killing them. So I think that answers that question. All right. Now, you, you mentioned in regards to Lyme disease, and, and I just looked up and time has been flying by. We've only got about seven minutes. But uh, so do most, uh, do most neuroscientists accept that there is a connection between Lyme's disease um, you know, or you, and again, having been to your site and have, have read part of the book, um, you know, you also talk about the, the Borelli, uh, yeah. Borelli, yes. Yeah, yeah. Alan, the, the, let me ask you a question. We only have seven minutes left? Yes. Okay, well, let me get to this then, uh, because it's so important. Um, no, most neuroscientists don't accept the fact that the Borrelia bacteria 
causes ALS. Although, in, it's very confusing in reading the various literature, they have found the Borrelia bacteria in 80% of ALS cases. The problem is the research that was done was done with, uh, what they did was they took ALS patients and put them on antibiotics. And they took other ALS patients and didn't put them on antibiotics, and they both died at the same time, or close to each other. The Borrelia bacteria has a glycoprotein covering, which does not allow the antibiotic to penetrate it. Mm. Anybody who's interested in this, go to Dr. Eva Sapi, S-A-P-I, Google her. And... This glycoprotein covering blocks the antibiotic from getting to the Borrelia bacteria. However, <clears throat> if they're put on flagyl or timidazole, timidazole, which are antifungal uh, substances, it will somehow allow the antibiotic to get at the bacteria. Those research uh, papers in which they used antibiotics, they did not address the biofilm that protects the bacteria. Dr. Sapi has EM pictures, electromicroscopy pictures, of the Borrelia bacteria in clusters covered by this film. Where do I want to go from here? <laughs> um, we, we, jump, we, we, we jump way ahead. Yeah. And, and and, well, just and, uh, because you had, you, you had mentioned about the Lyme disease uh, in regards right, to... Right, 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 because that, ER, that uh, email question. Yeah. So, okay, we don't have much time. I thought we were going to have more time. And yeah. So go ahead. But, yeah, t- yeah t- time has, has certainly flown by. Um, and, you know, there's another, another question uh, or comment here, and this one comes from someone who is a nurse. It says, I, I'm a nurse who began my career as a physical therapist. I manage an in-home care business for approximately 30 patients. A little under half are seniors suffering from disorders such as ALS, muscular dystrophy, Parkinson's, etc. Uh, I was wondering if uh, any of these conditions you know, would also benefit from your treatment protocol. Let me explain something. In, in, all, in all these cases, cells die because they lack energy. And when the cells die, they release glutamate into the extracellular space. Glutamate is the excitatory neurotransmitter, and you need glutamate so that you can transmit signals down the axons. However, the ratio of glutamate in the cells is 10,000 to outside the cell, which is 1,000. When glutamate comes out of the cell, it actually kills the surrounding cells. Now, any condition in which the cell no longer contains the contents and glutamate is released will cause the spread of cell death. This includes, and this was shown by, at the Weizmann Institute, this includes traumatic brain injuries, which is concussions, which include, include stroke and glioblastoma, and other neurodegenerative diseases. So the DP, the alpha-ketoglutarate, 
what it does is it enhances the energy production in the cell. And our mice studies have proved this. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and uh, the, the GABA uh, increases the inhibitory neurotransmitter, which controls a lot of the symptoms that these people have. So, yes, although, understand, our family foundation, winningthefight.org, WFND, we get no money from the ALS Association. We got very little money from the Ice Bucket Challenge. All these um, vehicles for funding are controlled by neuroscientists, and they don't want to accept metabolic treatment as a valid treatment. And, but on the other hand, I will say this, that... At WFND, almost 100% of the money goes to research. None of the people, we have one clerk that we pay hourly. That's the only person that gets paid for what they do at WFND. We certainly pay the people who do the research. And we do research at the University of South Florida, and we have done our mouse study there, and I think that's probably the, the next question you want to ask me, Alan. Well, yeah, and and uh, because again, unfortunately, we're out of time. What can people do? In other words, and and so either f- for more information, my guess is go to winningthefight.org, uh, but can they also go there to contribute? Absolutely, they can donate okay. there. Absolutely, okay. they okay. should also read the book. Yes, uh, hope for the Diana Protocol. Hope for ALS and other neurological conditions, because I think that the Deanna Protocol will, in supplying energy, will also help the other conditions where the cell membrane is interrupted and, and cells are challenged energy-wise. But we have not been able to do and, and, uh, that research. I would love to be able to do concomitant research on, for instance, instead of using arginine with AKG to use some other substances and see if that might enhance the Vienna Protocol. Let me say one other thing that we we had done a study. Let me ask you one quick question. Go ahead. Okay. Now the the quick question is is that so now so Deanna has has lived now with this disease for nine years. What is the average life expectancy for the people that have uh, have that has the disease that has gone with the the protocols that um, you know that apparently you know that the neurological um, groups are suggesting? What's five the average? Years. Five years. Five years. Okay. But so, the symptomatology is variable. Okay, and there is a lot that needs to be studied along these areas, and here's what's happening in research. Uh, Research scientists, and these are brilliant individuals, okay, uh, don't get me wrong, but they're PhDs mainly, or PhDs, MDs, which, who study the protein remnants of the disease, 
They're called TDP-43 or the tau protein in ALS with others or amyloid in, in Alzheimer's disease. And what they find is that these proteins are misfolded or something's wrong with them. Now, I look at this and I say that these protein inclusion bodies are the debris from the dead cells. They say they cause the disease or cause the spread of the disease. So there is a huge distinction here. Let me also say that I have an Alzheimer's patient who, now one patient does not a research project make, but this is the wife of a pharmacist who actually was helping me with my daughter in dosing because as an orthopedic surgeon, I'm not big on calculating doses. I wanted to make sure in the things that I was testing, the substances I was testing, I wasn't making a mistake. So I called him and he said to me, Vince, you know, my, my, daughter, my, my wife has Alzheimer's disease. She had it for about four years. And this was back in 2009 or 10. And he said, you know, she's crawled up in a bed in a fetal position, non-responsive. Do you think this might help her? So get this. He puts her on the DP along with coconut oil, okay, the massages. And within a period of time, I don't remember, his wife is sitting up in a chair watching television. Uh, she's not normal. She can't walk normal. She understands what she's seeing, and Walter comes over to the house and he says to me, my wife said happy anniversary to me. She recognizes the children. Now, I saw Walter uh, about two months ago, and this is, what, five years since? What? His wife has remained in that situation. Now, imagine if the DP had started as soon as there was a cognitive difficulty noted in ALS, in, in Alzheimer's disease. We don't know what would have happened, but well, that certainly needs to be uh, researched. We do know this, that one hypothesis for Alzheimer's disease is that the cells become resistant to glucose. And so if they're resistant to glucose, their energy diminishes. Well, which, AKG which, supplies energy to cells. AKG can only go in those cells that really need it, so it makes a lot of sense. Another point I would make. Okay, well, is, Dr. You know, Beryllium Dr. bacteria Dr. is very difficult. Dr. Chidon, um, I'm, I'm, I'm right up against the news, so I've, uh, we've got to go. But again, for everybody out there, there's so much information out here, and there's so much good that's being done. So please, go to the website, check it out, and join the fight. So again, Dr. Tadone, thank you so much. And again, that website is winningthefight.org. Thank you so much. And for everybody out there, be with us next week uh, when our guest will be Ken Seeley and Eric McLaughlin from uh, I-911 Events. Uh, and they will discuss their nationwide drug intervention training and addiction recovery resource workshops. Be good humans and be with us again next week. Bye now. You're listening to Answers for the Family with Alan Cardoza, right here on L.A. Talk Radio.